This is a special episode sponsored by the Refugee Journalism Project. When watching the news in the UK, I was really surprised to see foreign correspondents moving from one war-torn country to another. I was really surprised because most of these correspondents didn't speak the local language and depended on translators and interpreters to understand what was going on. But even when I watch the local news in the UK, most of the reporters covering the migration crisis, for example, either don't understand what's it like to be displaced or lack the basic effects of covering such an, a sensitive topic. But this problem does not stop here. And it's not only about covering the migration and asylum seekers, but also covering the ethnic minorities and the underrepresented voices in the media in general. A couple of years ago, I was invited to attend a conference in London about the representation of refugees in the media. It was a full day panel discussions with people from a lot of different media organizations. The only thing that was missing from this conference was the refugees themselves. When I asked about the lack of refugees in the media, I was told that's because they are hard to find. Well, today I speak to Hilal, a Kurdish freelance journalist who tells me how she feels about being misrepresented by people who do not understand her culture or struggle. And my second speaker is Daniel Trelling, a freelance journalist whose works cover asylum seekers and refugees in Europe. And finally, I also speak to Croydon, a lawyer and founder of Equanicity, an initiative where he advocates for racial equality along with volunteers, migrants, and asylum seekers. I am your host, Abdul, and this is a special episode of Integrate That. Stay with us. If you're following this podcast, you're familiar with the coverage of asylum seekers in the UK and how poorly it has been reported by various mainstream media organizations. I remember last year BBC News and Sky News both sent reporters on a boat in the English channels to Vox Pop asylum seekers who look distressed in their rubber boats. The reporter would usually shout, are you okay? Or where are you from? Or how many are you? Putting the asylum seekers at risk and ignoring any ethical issues. The following clip is from Sky News. Where are you from? From Sudan. From Sudan? Yeah. Are you from Where Calais? Are you? Have you come from Calais? Have you come from Calais? How many of you? One, two, three, four, five. Thirteen people. Twelve. Thirteen people. Thirteen of you. Are you okay? You don't have life jackets. We don't have jacket. We don't have jacket. Here, if you've been displaced or had any idea how difficult it is to be on a rubber boat, you would not interfere or put asylum seekers in any unwanted pressure or extra risk. This clip received wide criticism from people online, but I believe those who were not happy with this report were the minority because it was also reported on the BBC a few days after that. My first guest, a Kurdish freelance journalist living in London, talked to me about her frustration with the broadcast media coverage of the refugee crisis. First of all, I don't find any emotions on the news as if it's something that they have to, they have to cover refugees as it's their mission. I don't see uh, the journalists or 
who have produced that news or anyone from the British media are having the sensitivity when they cover the refugees, uh, migrants news like that. They are also human being. I don't see they cover the news as they are normal people. I was also frustrated by the clip I played earlier. A reporter in a well-built boat sees people in a rubber boat struggling to survive and yet shouts at them casually as if they are mates or know each other. Where are you from? The report usually lacks the details about why these people take this very risky and dangerous decision to cross the water. But even when it is not about water crossing, the lack of emotions and sensitivity is something a number of people have talked about. There are many reasons for that. One of them, as Hilal tells me, is not understanding the cultures of the migrants and where they're coming from. So I know how important to work for a journalist with a uh, fixer from the region where you cannot actually understand the atmosphere, the vibe and the region's culture and language and everything. So that is why local journalists, reporters, who have abilities to transform the, from the news from one language to another are important. It could be a video piece, it could be like the feature piece. This is one of the biggest problem because that's lack of communication when you speak to uh, those people. But lack of communication isn't the only reason we have this problem. A very common problem many non-British journalists go through is the lack of trust from employers. When the chemical attack took place in Syria, there were tons of reports, videos, and photos of the aftermath of the attack. But there were many people who suspected these reports because they were reported by local journalists, not foreign journalists. People online were asking if there were any foreign journalists who could verify these reports because they couldn't trust the locals to cover their own issues. This is something Daniel will speak about later, but Hilal also told me a similar story that she faced in London herself. When I was in London, there was a big, long hunger strike in Turkey where Kurdish people started from the prisons and it spread all of the world. Three people from London and one in Newcastle have joined to this hunger strike as well. So it took at least five to six months. Meanwhile, I tried to send emails to many like the media uh, platforms and newspapers here in the UK because I was able to do interviews with those people since I know the language and I have the background and everything. And I was thinking I could be one of them, not the only journalist who could tell the story, just one of them. And I sent an email. I know what I got as an email back. One person from National Desk, I think, and also International Desk said, oh yeah, I know, but no, this is not one for one of us. And then I asked why, you know, and then they said, First of all, we prefer to commission our journalists on topics like that. And the second, we don't actually believe that people coming from that background should cover these kind of stories since you wouldn't be objective. If we cannot trust local journalists to cover issues in their country because they might not be objective, then why should we allow British journalists to cover news about Brexit? Can they be objective? Well, Hilal tells me that after being rejected from reporting about her own country, she decides to cover issues not related to her country. And this is the response she got. 
I was also asking a Turkish newspaper, like media platform, they have like Arabic English desk as well. I said, can I cover a piece about Irish travelers in the UK? You know, I was doing the opposite thing to another like media outlet. And they said, I mean, could you be the one? And I was like, okay, I cannot write about Irish travelers since it's a problem. And I cannot even write about Kurdish, I like the migrants in the UK, which I cannot be objective. So who I can write about myself, then I would be kind of, I don't know. <laughs> It would be personal blog. So what can we do to change the quality of reporting in broadcast media? First of all, we need to accept that there is a problem. We have to say this out loud. There is a problem. There is a problem on representing like this uh, refugees or migrants or uh, women or LGBT plus people. We have to say that we are not doing great. So people should say that they are not perfect, first of all, myself included. And then second, when we start accepting and we stop denying, then we will discuss about solutions. I think it's crucially important uh, to have diversity in broadcast media. Let those people to have to live their own identity, culture, uh, existence in there, in that media, in that field. Otherwise, our existence, this could be a Chinese, uh, I don't know, kid, or like a uh, woman from Afghanistan, from Africa, or anyone. That's why diversity is so important. We have to feel that this life is not only about English people or German people. This is about everybody. This is about human being. That is why there should be enough pieces of cake for everybody. My next speaker, Daniel, tells me something I wasn't aware of since he's an insider in the industry. Daniel is a freelance journalist who has covered the refugee crisis for years. Diversity is not just a box you tick when you invite someone from a minority or underrepresented group to give a testimony or appear in your panel, and a giant organization should do better than that. Here Daniel explains to me the challenges of covering the migration crisis. Migration is this hugely complex topic and there are millions of different ways in which you can cover it, but I would say that coverage broadly tends to split very widely between it either being talked about in a, in a way that's not at all about individuals or people's specific experiences, or it focuses in really heavily on, on individual cases. I feel like often there's this gap in the middle where things could be much better linked up. The effect of that kind of coverage and of that gap being there means that Individuals often are kind of stripped of agency or they're there to just give testimony, but not really sort of brought into the conversation about what to do on those bigger structural levels. Migration in general, not just displacement, is politically it's talked about like what should the people in power do to arrive at the best migration policy? You know, how many millions of people does this country want to allow in or not to allow in and so on? And then the way that individual migrants come into that can be very limited partly that's to do with i guess that's journalism in general how you reconcile big structural things with with individual experience but i think it's particularly pronounced when it comes to migration i think there's often an idea that coverage is aiming to really reinforce a particular view you know whether whether that's hostile or benign or whatever 
So I asked Daniel about the difference between shallow diversity, where a producer can bring people from various uh, backgrounds to tick boxes and claim that they're diverse now, and real diversity in the newsroom, where journalists from various backgrounds can make their own reports about topics that are of importance to them. This is what he says about diversity. The idea of newsroom, you know, diversity within the newsroom, I think when it is talked about is more talked about as a way to make sure different groups in society are represented within newsrooms, but in often becomes a fairly shallow conversation that rests on the assumption that if you have a certain number of people from a certain background, then you're being representative regardless of what it is they're actually doing as journalists. Whereas I think a much more open and flexible approach to journalism should recognise that you need a mix of people from different backgrounds just because that reflects society, but also people with specific experiences and areas of knowledge where they're actually going to add real substance to the journalism that you do. When you're talking about recent refugee movements into Europe, that that really shows up what's lacking because I can think of, think of a good recent example. As I'm sure you know, the Danish government re- recently said that it, it wants to start sending back groups of Syrians to the area around Damascus, which to anyone who knows even a little bit about Syria is 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 crazy you know like the idea that it's safe for people to go back to but what would make that so much easier to tell as a story is if you have the journalists who've got the contacts and the knowledge to immediately turn that into stuff that would connect with audiences it's not just about the sort of specific uses of a person's knowledge or contacts or like their language skills or whatever i think that it's also about making this just a working part of everyday journalism rather than something you call on in an emergency like oh there's a syria story so we need to find some syrians who can help us write about it if newsrooms are not diverse both in terms of who they employ and the kind of stuff they put out you also lose the sense of everyday connection to a place that makes it make sense in your audience's lives Last summer, when there was a rise in the number of asylum seekers crossing the English Channel in boats, and I think at the time a lot of people, there were a lot of people from Iraq on the boats. That was one of the nationalities that seemed to be very well represented there. The kind of reaction, particularly that the right-wing media fell into, was like, "Oh, who are these people, and what do they want from our country?" Well, obviously, you know, if you know again a little bit about the history of Britain in Iraq, there's there's a hundred years plus of the two countries being very intimately involved with Britain in in the dominating kind of bit of the relationship. If you only kind of go to the Iraqi perspective when it's about explain yourself why you're you're coming here as a refugee, or it's treated as a foreign story about, oh, there's more violence in Iraq over there. I think for, for, for audiences, it doesn't seem like it's part of their lives in the way that actually it, it really is. It's an ongoing relationship with that country, not just something that happens every now and then when there's like, you know, an outburst of violence or a movement of refugees or, or, and, and so on. Part of why the quality of reports we see on TV were terrible at best is that journalists don't have enough time to shoot the reports, edit them, and then put them on air. You might think this is not a good excuse, but this is the reality of broadcast media. Now, Daniel here also brings up uh, the example of journalists trying to vox pop asylum seekers crossing the British waters. To some extent, it's what you're given the space to do. The kind of form of journalism that you do makes a big difference to 
how much latitude you have to make make ethical decisions in the first place. My reporting on, on refugees in Europe, for example, which I was doing for about five years around the time of the refugee crisis, I, I was freelancing reports and features to various news organisations, but what I was really doing was building up material for a book. And so I had a lot of time. Where are you from? The TV journalist who goes out on a boat and has to vox pop refugees as they're sitting in an inflatable boat has probably got maximum half a day to do the whole thing, report it, get it edited and get it out. You OK? OK? Are you OK? Where are you from? You OK? Whereas I had, like, five years in some cases to get to know people, to think about things that you don't normally have the time to think about, like, well, how would, how would the people that I'm talking to like to represent themselves or how what's my role in relation to them and so on so I think the constraints of the form and the resources and the time you have play a big role but it's not only that I think that the ethics that you're formally taught as a journalist and that's only if you've been and done a journalism course which not everybody has are fairly limited in terms of like you know the, the basics are really don't libel anybody make sure people have a right to reply. But there's not much of a framework set out beyond that, and I think you kind of have to find your own way to it. So I asked Daniel about this notion that locals cannot be trusted on reporting issues from their own country, especially if they are affected by these issues. And in the case of a war-torn country, where people are divided into pretty much two camps. I think it can't really be separated from politics. That's my view on it. The ethics of my reporting stem from the fact I've also got a political position that I'm open about in relation to it. We would like to think that journalists can kind of leave politics out of what they do, but really you either, it's my opinion at least, you either know what your political position is or you're outsourcing it to the person that's hiring you. Hostile coverage of refugees or sort of the, the, yeah, the stupid, like, we're, you know, kind of hunting them in the channel and sticking a microphone in their face. That kind of stems from the fact that the media organisations that do that are effectively reflecting the British state's stance towards this stuff. You know, you can work in those news organisations and kind of mess with that and flip it on its head and so on. But I think in order to do so, you need to at least admit that that's there as a structural constraint. In 2016, I joined the Refugee Journalism Project, where local journalists mentor and collaborate with refugee journalists to produce high-quality reports. An example of this was the work of Sally Hayden and Ziad Randur, who won an award for their reporting on Syrian refugees going back from Germany to Syria. When you're fresh off the boat in the UK, you need a lot of supports, and collaborating with local journalists to produce well-researched reports makes sense and produces quality reports. I think ideally for me, good journalism is a mix of people reporting on what they know and people reporting on what they don't know. I think the two things are both essential. And I think often the debate is like, should you have one or the other? You know, sometimes it really helps to be a journalist, to go into a situation where you know actually very little about it because you, you see things that people who've got it right up in front of them every day miss. A piece that I've just done on the UK Home Office, I've been writing about that for so long. It was actually really hard to work out what are the bits that are actually going to 
be the most meaningful to readers who don't know about this. Um, and it, you know, it took a lot of work with my editor and kind of bouncing stuff off my editor, who's not an expert in this stuff, who would look at bits and be like, oh no, that's boring. And look at another bit and be like, wow, that really shocked me. I didn't know about it. So moving forward, how can we fix this problem? Getting a number of witnesses and guest speakers won't solve this problem of underrepresentation. So something else has to happen. This is the question that I put to Daniel. You need people who have direct experience of, of events to be producing journalism about it. But it's equally important that people who do that are allowed to develop the skills that allow them to approach their own experiences journalistically. And I think where media organisations fall down is that even when they mean well and want to kind of broaden what they do, people are just brought in as witnesses, essentially. So just to give their testimony about their own experiences. Whereas actually a Syrian living in Syria, living through the war, is just as capable of applying good objective journalistic practices to what they see around them as somebody flying in from outside. So thinking about refugees, for example, you'll get a media organisation will say, we, we want to feature the voices of refugees. And then it will turn out what they want is like 10 opinion pieces about here's my personal experience as a refugee. It doesn't change anything structurally. The point should be that you want people with those experiences, but who have got as developed skills and have got the institutional support to produce journalism in the way that other journalists do. Crichton, a lawyer and founder of Equanicity, an initiative to advocate for racial equality, shares my frustration that diversity is just becoming like a box ticked by a giant organization when they want to ride the wave and show they are progressive and support social justice issues. But he thinks that things have changed since the tragic death of George Floyd. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, it's just a tick box culture. And it has been there all along, really, to be honest. I mean, uh, I remember personally when I went to the law school, um, my lecture said you would definitely get hired as a barrister because of your previous experience. Okay, I was going to a law school as a mature student, and I was going to a law school, uh, I had two master's degrees, and one of them I got it with, with a distinction. Uh, and the my lecture told me that you definitely get hired, you know. Uh, but what happens later is the, every application that are submitted to every chambers, not any single reply. You see, there's that hesitancy just to hire somebody with a different name. The moment they see your name, you are completely ruled out. My main point is uh, the murder of Judge Freud has sparked a debate which will not die down. Okay, that's my main point. But things on the ground, to say that they have changed, that would be a complete lie. Things haven't changed. They are yet to change. What I like is people speaking out. I'm seeing people, especially black people, ethnic minorities, who never spoke against the system. They're now coming out to express their views. That's what I like, all right? Inevitably, things would have to change. Hilal pointed out that there's a lack of emotions in most of the reports about asylum seekers and refugees. Croyton thinks the same. They both refer to the same point, that asylum seekers are human beings, not a political weapon or agenda. The main thing that I can say is missing is to give a picture 
of refugees as human beings, all right? Because they are framed in such a way that you can't see babies, you can't see mothers, you can't see fathers and grandparents. They are often framed uh, in the media as a threat um, when it comes to refugees, or if you like the word migrant. It has been framed in such a way that it's a threat, all right? So when you are, for example, if you're a migrant in the UK and you're a medical doctor or you are a banker, or if you like, you, you have a big business in the UK, you are not framed as a migrant. You are identified by your profession. If you score goals in the premiership, they will never say that you're a migrant or a refugee, you know? Because you are, you, you, are, you are that kind of person who have got a high status in society. The final thing I would like to say is that we know coverage in broadcast media is not ideal. It is far from perfect. But people who are underrepresented or misrepresented do not want an ideal representation. We just want fair representation. I know my culture, my country, my language far better than most foreign journalists. So if a journalist is going to report about Syria, my country, they should definitely work with Syrians, with the locals. We have a proverb in Arabic, it goes like this, which roughly translates into local people know their local roads best. This episode was sponsored by the Refugee Journalism Project. My guests today were Hilal, Daniel, and Croyton. This podcast was presented by me, Abdul Wahab Tahan, and edited by Leo Sheikh.